Welcome to Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, and welcome to today's podcast. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Master the NEC, where we talk about the National Electrical Code and all things electrically related. My name is Paul Abernathy, your host, as always. I want to welcome you to our podcast. So today's episode is kind of a part two, if you will. We're going to talk optional method calculation for a one-family dwelling. Uh, But before I even get into that, the reason I'm doing this podcast is because I noticed on some of the forums that people still have some confusion with doing simple, basic one-family dwelling calculations. Because if you don't know how to do these, you really can't build on a more advanced system. Uh, And so I talk about doing these in order to be able to make the basics of understanding clear to everybody so they can build on that knowledge. Now, with that said, I will remind you that I do have videos or webinars that are available for free up on our YouTube channel. Uh, And just go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash master the NEC, all one word, and you will see by scrolling through the videos, you'll see that there's a webinar on the optional method and there's a webinar on the standard method of calculation. And that's going to give you everything that you would get into this podcast. So if you're a visual person, then that's the one to go watch. If you kind of got the basics and you're studying for an exam and you're trying to say, I understand it, Paul, but I'd like you to break each one of these down into little sub parts because an exam is not going to ask me to calculate an entire dwelling. An exam is going to ask ask me to make sure I understand each little component. So if I get asked a question on something about fixed uh, fastened in place appliances or the general lighting and receptacle load application or or, or whatever, that that I understand how to do that. So I did this recently in a podcast using the standard method and I'm going to do this one today based on the optional method and hopefully we can finish this in under 30 minutes because the optional method should be much easier to do than the standard method. Um, when should I do use one over the other? If I'm on an exam, they're always pretty much going to use the standard method unless they state that the optional method to be used. Uh, so again, make sure you read those instructions as you're taking the exam because that's going to also tell you things like to always assume copper unless stated otherwise and, and those type of things. Uh, other things to remember that always convert your values in, in watts or, or if you have an opacity of an, a piece of appliance that you're going to have to convert that over to VA using your multiplication. You just take the amperes and you multiply it into the rated voltage and that's going to give you a VA. We want to make sure that we remember to convert everything into VA because VA is what we're trying to achieve. The other thing to remember up front is that when you see things on ranges and dryers and whatnot that they're giving you in watts, that when you're doing 220 calculations that you need to understand that watts is synonymous with VA. Uh, Kilowatts is synonymous with KVA, kilovolt amps. So... Just remember that in the scope of the calculations, they're synonymous because we don't want you to lose sight because you still want to get everything into into watts, all right? I mean, excuse me, into VA. See how easy that can happen? So if I have a 5,000 watt clothes dryer, that it equates to a 5,000 VA, okay? So we want to try to convert everything into VA so we can keep it nice and tidy as we're working through this thing. All right, so let's work through it. Now, the first thing I'll tell you, hopefully you've, you've listened or watched our video on the standard method, because the first thing I'll tell you is the first three steps to doing an optional method 
uh, which again, optionals will always usually, I, should, I started to say oxymoron, always usually. It will result in a smaller set of conductors or a smaller service because of the greater allowance and demands that can be placed on an optional method, okay? Much more diversity is, is gathered in here, all right, when you're dealing with an optional method. So it's gonna result in a smaller service. Uh, and again, part four of, which is 220.82, or 220.80, it starts there. Part four is going to remind us in 220.82 that we can use part four, the optional method, in lieu of part three, which is the standard method. So that's where you get the permission, it's a permissible statement, to use the part four for your calculation, okay? So we kind of get that out of the way, the general stuff. All right, so the first three things that you're gonna do in an optional method are exactly the same as what you do in a standard method. You need to know the outside dimensions. You don't include things like open porches, garages, or unused or unfinished spaces that are not adaptable for future use, like an attic or whatnot. You don't add those things in there. Once you do the actual area, okay, square foot area, then you're gonna multiply that by three VA. Now, in the standard method, we had to go to 220.12 and ultimately go to a table to get the three VA for dwelling units. Not the same for optional. In the optional method, it gives you that value specifically in 220.82b. And it says to use 3VA per square foot. So the first thing you wanna do is determine your square footage of your outside dimensions of your dwelling. Uh, if you're two floors, again, you gotta count both floors. Um, and what you're gonna have is the total square foot times three. And that's gonna be your VA for the general lighting and receptacle loads. Now, one thing is different than it was in a standard method. You had to know that in when you're doing the general lighting unit load under 220.12, that it didn't say anything about receptacles. You have to know that in dwellings, it also kicked into 220.14J, which talks about general use receptacles were all encompassed inside of that lighting load. And so that can get confusing in the standard method to know that you got a jockey back and forth. Um, but just know that it's included. Whereas in the optional method, it flat out tells you that right in the beginning of its statement in uh, 220.82a, I mean, excuse me, b. So it tells you that right up front. So whatever your square footage is, outside dimensions, times um, the 3VA, okay? And that's gonna be that value. The next thing, it's the same as the standard method, was to take the small appliance branch circuit values. That's 220.82b2, and it tells you that. You have to have at least two small appliance branch circuits in according with 210.11c1, uh, which talks about branch circuits. Um, you have to have at least two. Uh, they're a minim minimum of two. You could have more. So that's one thing to remember. If I have five small appliance branch circuits because my house is rather large, then that's be 1500 VA for each one of those. Um, but the minimum per code is two. But if you design it with more than two, you gotta account for that, okay? You don't get a free pass here. You have to, it is an actual load value that you have to account for. So in our case, let's just say it was a minimum of two, so we'll, we're gonna have two, so that's gonna be 1,500 times two, 3,000 VA, and I add that to my number, and I put that to the side. The next thing it says is just like the standard, and even in the optional, it says laundry branch circuit. It says I have to have uh, at least one laundry branch circuit. Okay, so that's 220.82b2. And again, we're talking small, uh, we're talking sing, uh, one family dwelling here. Don't start getting into multifamilies and don't start, I'm just talking one family dwellings, okay? Don't lose your stuff because Paul doesn't talk about every possible option that's out there ever, 
Okay, we're trying to do the basics here. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff that I hear, you know, like they, they, they complain about the videos being long, but then they complain because I don't talk about every possible com- component. Have you not watched some other people's videos and books out there who just cover the surface of a topic? They don't go in near the detail I go into, but everybody loves them. Okay. All right. Anyway, I hope the, never mind. All right. So at the end of the day, you know what I'm talking about. At the end of the day. We have to have a laundry brand circuit, 220.82B2. So at least one laundry circuit. And if you look at 210.11C2, it's going to tell you that that accounts for 1500 VA as well. Remember, we're kind of calculate this thing out. So you have a minimum of one, but if you have more than one laundry circuit in your in your house, then you however many you have times 1500 VA, and that's your VA. Um, I'll remind you that a dryer circuit is not a laundry circuit. Dryers are not required in a dwelling. The laundry circuit is required. A dryer circuit is not. That is optional. Uh, if, your exam calc- if your exam says that it's included, then you include it. But you don't arbitrarily include one in a calculation. If by chance they give you a calc and they don't say anything about a dryer, it's not a requirement. Okay? So... Um, but if there is one there, then I have to take it at its value, and I'll explain that to you how we actually take that based on the nameplate. Okay, so first, all I did was do the general lighting and receptacle loads based on the square footage times 3VA. I had small appliance, a minimum of two, and I have the laundry brand circuit, a minimum of one. Again, if I have more than two small appliances, I have to count for each one of them. If I have more than one laundry, I have to count for each one of them. I add those all up. And that's my number for my general lighting and receptacle load, my small appliance brand circuit load, and my laundry brand circuit load. Those encompass step one, step two, step three. I write them down. The next one you're going to go to is the appliances. And here's where it starts to differ from the standard. In the optional method, I literally take the nameplate of all the fastened in place appliances, all the ones that are connected to specific circuits like ranges and things like that. I take all of those and I simply throw them down on the table, okay? And I take the nameplate value. The only thing that I don't include in this appliances is the heating and cooling. Everything else gets applied here, okay? So uh, if I have a water heater, uh, I put that value down. If I have a dishwasher, I put that value down. The nameplate value, compactor, nameplate value. Remember, if, it, if the exam gives you uh, something, dishwasher, for example, in amps, then you're going to have to convert that to VA, okay? So basically, it's it's you multiply the amps by the voltage, and that's going to give you your VA, and that's what you put down. So pretty simple math, but you need to convert these things. I usually tell people, first things first, when I look in an exam, if it happens to have these things on there, I immediately convert all things. I immediately take any motors that are in horsepower. I go to that motor's horsepower. Unless it's incorporated as part of a, a dishwasher, then that's incorporated in there. But things like disposal, that's probably going to give you the horsepower, whether it's a half horsepower, whether it's whatever it is. Then I'm going to go to 430 and the table's 248, 249, whatever it is, 247, whatever I'm dealing with, and find what the FLC is, and that's going to be my opacity. Then I can convert it into a VA. Okay, so that's some of the first things that I do on an exam. If I have air conditioning loads down there and I notice that some of those motors are in horsepower or maybe they just give me the amps, I have to convert it to VA. Now, if it's horsepower, I got to do one extra step. I got to go from the table in 430, 247, 248, or 249, depending on the uh, what system we're dealing with, single phase, three phase, and whatnot, and find an amperage. 
Then I can do it and work my way down and find what a VA would be. But I do that first on any exam if I got that kind of question. I go through on my scratch paper and I convert all these values down to so that I know the VA. So I don't have to get halfway through this thing and then start doing all these calcs. I, I, I knock them out up front. Okay, That's just my mentality on an exam. Get these things I need out of the way. Now, you take all of those things and you write them down. Okay? And you're going to add them all up. And you're using the nameplate value. Okay? So that's the nameplate value for the ranges, the ovens, the cooktops, uh, motors, clothes dryers, everything. If there's clothes dryers in this calculation, uh, in this question, then you're going to put it down. Okay? Nameplate values. Now, how does that differ? Well, the appliances in the standard, if you had three or less, then you took it at its full nameplate value. It's pretty much 100%. If you had four or more appliances, then you took you were able to apply a 75% demand factor. Well, here you take full nameplate value because guess what? I'm going to get to in, to do use a greater demand factor for all of these appliances as well as my general lighting, small appliance, and, and laundry brand circuit calculations. I'm going to be able to do some real demands here. So that's why I just take full nameplate. So if I had a water heater, it's 4,500, dishwasher, 1,200, trash compactor, 900, clothes dryer, 5,500, disposal uh, could be, I converted it from the horsepower, that ends up being 1,127 VA. Uh, I had three attic fans. Those are motors, if you will. So I take those, add all of them if they're all the same together, and that gives me the motor load uh, that I have down there. Um, although remember, each motor is separate, okay, uh, but they're all there. Uh, ranges, I take the value of cooktop and oven, uh, all of those type of things, I take those those values and I write them down, okay? And that's how I'm going to apply them, all right? Pretty simple in the concept of, of how you're, you're moving through this. You're literally taking all of the values and it's so much simpler to do the optional method. Now, I add all those up, okay? And once I add all those up, that's going to give me a total VA, Okay. Now, once I have that total VA added up, then it's pretty simple from there. Um, I've got that value for all my appliances, and I add that to the value that I got from my first three steps was my general lighting receptacle, my small appliance brand circuit, and my laundry, and I add them two together. Now, here's what the code says, and if you look at the code under 220.82b, you'll see that it says, okay, um, it says you take the first 10,000 KVA at 100% plus 40% for the remainder. So we literally went down the list. You saw that a water heater gets taken at its nameplate, the clothes dryers uh, taken at its nameplate, range, wall mounted oven, nameplate, all appliances fastened in place, permanently connected, and located on a specific circuit. All of those type of appliances, they all get taken into it. And then you got the last one that says the nameplate rating or KVA rating of all permanently connected motors not included in item three. So item three includes different types of appliances that have motors, okay? But any other motors that are not in this application, that's where you get the motor application that kicks into here, which might be the actual um, fan that would be a, 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 an attic fan, for example, Okay, take those values. Now, either way, just so you know, if I made a mistake and I added it in the values under three, then I don't need to add them again in four. Okay, because all four is doing is saying, oh, hey, hey, hey. You might be confused whether or not that attic fan's an appliance or not. So I need you to take that value. Well, we already took that value based on the nameplate. So 
I really think that three and four is kind of overlaps and it kind of keeps you in tune. Uh, but just so you understand that, uh, that's how it works. So I've taken all those values. Now, it's pretty simple. I take those total values of everything. I take the first 10,000 out of the equation. I set it aside. Or I take the total value minus 10,000 so that I know what that value is that I got to do the 40% of. And I put that first 10,000 to the left here. Then I take whatever remaining and I do that at 40%. And whatever that value is, I add that back to the 10,000. Okay. So now that is my part B of 220.82. Okay. B. Now, next I move on to the larger between the heat and the and the air conditioning. Okay. That's the next step that we're going to move through in the process. Okay. So the next process is heating versus cooling. And you really need to know what you're dealing with. I find this question to be confusing for people. Uh, and usually it's because they go, Paul, how do I know which heat, which cool? You have to know what system you're dealing with. Whether you're dealing with a heat pump that doesn't have supplemental electric heat, or you have a heat pump that does have supplemental electric heat, uh, and maybe you have a heat pump where the compressor, the heat pump compressor, doesn't come on when the supplemental heat is running. Okay? Um, you have to know these things because... This is where you got to choose the larger based on the options of one through six. And you get six different options. And so you need to know what you're, what you're dealing with uh, in this application. Now, I could have an AC system and I could have separate heating. And the separate heating could be separately controlled, means by a separate thermostat, like baseboard or something like that, whatever it might be. And so I look at the 100% of the nameplate rating of the air conditioning, and then I go look at what the heat is. And if the heat is greater, and typically that kind of resistive heating is going to be greater, if that is greater than the air conditioning, then I get to omit the air conditioning and I get to go with, I have to go with the heating. So what this is saying is you simply take whichever one of your options here results in the larger of the heat versus AC. Okay, so there's a bunch of different options here, and I'll kind of just give you a quick synopsis of them. If I have uh, a simple air conditioning and cooling, then I take 100% of the nameplate value and I write that down because I got to compare that to heat. Uh, next, it says, well, 100% of the nameplate rating of a heat pump where the heat pump is used without any supplemental heat. So if I just have a heat pump and, I, and I've got something else that's supplemental heat, okay, but I want to take just the heat pump portion, I take that value and I take the nameplate and I take that 100%. And then I have to compare it to the supplemental heat. But that might be another value that I write down. The next one says, well, what if you have a heat pump that's got a compressor and you take the compressor value of that heat pump at 100% because that's basically what the load's going to be on the heat pump. I take that at 100%. But then if I have supplemental heat involved in it, then I take that at 65% and I have to equate those and that could be the larger of what I'm dealing with and that's the value you're going to use, right? However, if that same heat pump has some kind of mechanism that the heat pump compressor is prevented from operating at the same time as the supplemental heat operates, then I can take the supplemental heat at 65% and I don't have to, to, to take into consideration, consideration the nameplate rating for the, for the heat pump compressor. Okay, So you got to really read these to understand how they function, how they utilize. Okay. All right. So the next one might be, well, what if I have uh, separately controlled heating units? Let's just use as far as extreme so people can understand the extreme. I have baseboard heating. 
Well, if I have baseboard heating, which has a, a wattage value, again, which we're going to convert to VA, but I have a wattage value on these things, uh, and I have less than four, uh, then what I'm going to do is um, treat them at 60, take them 65 cent of their nameplate rating, whatever their nameplate rating is. Okay, and I'm going to take that at 65%, and I'm going to compare that because chances are I do have cooling. It might be 100% of the cooling, obviously, and I'm going to see which is larger, and I get to discount one. Uh, now, what if I have four more of these units that are separately controlled, okay, individually thermostatically controlled or manually, however they're controlled, then I would take, if it's four or more, then I'm going to take it at 40% of a name rating of four or more separately controlled. Okay, I'm getting a little diversity there built into it. Okay, and of course, if I have some kind of specialized heating system that use electric thermal storage uh, or some other heating system component that is expected to be continuous at its full nameplate value because of how the system's designed, then that might result in being the larger of something to do with the cooling or whatnot. So I just need to know what system, and it's hard for me to go into each one of these uh, without you knowing what system it is. But you just need to take whichever one results in the largest, okay? And that's the one you're going to use. And you compare the two. Now, once you do that, the, you take that value of the largest, and you're simply going to take that value, and you're going to add that to what you did in step in part B. And you're going to add those two together. And that's going to be your total VA demands. See how much simpler it is to do it? And then in this case, you simply divide it by 240 volts because that's chances are one family dwelling, uh, single family dwelling, whatever, you're going to be 240 volt. So in that case, it's going to give you a certain minimum of amperes. Then you go size your breaker based on the whatever size it corresponds, or if it's not available, you can go to the next size. So that sends you to 240.6A. Uh, you do have to make sure that using the optional method that you're dealing with an ampacity rating that's at least 100 amperes. Okay, so it has to at least equate to a 100 amp rated device uh, service rating or feeder rating. Once that equates to that, then you can go size your minimum size conductor. Uh, and we say minimum size because I could size the, the values for this ampacity based on 31015B16 and it would be a larger conductor. But if you meet all the conditions and all the rules in 31015B7, uh, which means that your service rating is 100 to 400 amperes, okay, and the service conductors that are going to be utilized are supplying the entire load that is associated with that dwelling, if that's the case, or it supplies the entire load associated with an individual dwelling unit, let's say in a two-family dwelling or multifamily dwelling, then I'm going to be permitted to use 31015B7. And that means that my ampacities of my conductors cannot be any less than 83% of whatever the rating is of the service or the feeder, and that's the breaker rating that you're selecting. So um, if that's the case, that is the size of your conductors, uh, and you can go from there. Now, some of us believe that that's a little bit wonky when it comes to having to meet the actual calculated load, but all I know is that's what the code says, and that's what it's allowing you to do, and so that's how you would do it based on this. Um, it does say things like it has to be able to hire the handle the calculated load based in 210.19A1, 215.2A, and 230.42. Um, and so it kind of conflicts a little bit with this because there are some situations where using this 83% could give you a conductor that's actually not sized to handle the actual calculated load. But nobody seems to want to talk about that little, um, um, I don't know, um, 
whatever in the room type of thing. So at this case, the elephant in the room. So in this case, you are allowed to do that for your, your the minimum size conductor. And on an exam, that's all you have to remember. Okay. So in the real world, we still have to have a, a, a conductor that can handle the load that's calculated based on, again, those code references that I gave you. But this is for a small, minimum size conductor. And until the code catches up and clarifies, this is what you're going to use to size the minimum size conductor based on whatever the service rating is or whatever the feeding rating is, as long as it's between 100 and 400. Okay. If it's over 400, then you're going to actually have to utilize the opacity values and for conductors based on 31015B16. And I'll remind you in the 2020 code, guess what? The ampacity table go back to 310.16. So for all those old folks that are used to that, that's where it's going again. So kind of understand how this all works uh, in this. Now, one thing I will tell you again is that even though this is the optional method, you cannot use the optional method to size the neutral conductor. Okay, You can't do that. you, you got to remember the concepts in 220.61 in order to do that. All right? And when you're sizing that neutral, just remember that you are going to have rules uh, for feeders in 215.2 that you have to be aware of, 220.61 for the neutral calculations, and 230.42. All of these conditions have to be met. Again, um, I wish that it kind of said that same kind of language up in the basic, but we'll leave it at, we'll leave it at that. It, it has to meet those rules. So... Um, and then, of course, you know that your grounded conductor can't be smaller anyway that's specified in 250.24C1, which ultimately sends you to 250.102C1. So you have to compare your calculation and you have to compare the minimum size that's required by the table. Uh, and if you're not familiar with table 250.102C1, uh, 14 code didn't, um, didn't have it. Uh, the, um, or I should say this. I think that the 14 code introduced it in the 17 code, clarified it, and now we're all very much used to it. How about that? Easiest way to say that. And basically, it's a regurgitation of 250.66 for the grounding electroconductors. Uh, the only difference is grounding electroconductors don't have to ever be larger, let's say copper 3 aught, for example, or 250 aluminum. Whereas when it comes to bonding jumpers, supply-side bonding jumpers, grounding conductors, uh, once you get over those sizes, then you get into a notes which tells you that you have to use a 12.5% rule. So the tables aren't exactly, but they're based on the premise of 250.66. And when we created the table in 250.102C, uh, okay, C1. So probably more information than you wanted to, to know. All right. So anyway, hopefully you got something out of that. It's much simpler to do the optional method. Uh, hopefully you pick something up in there. You have any questions, as always. Feel free to email us at info, I-N-F-O, at masterthenec.com or info at electrocodeacademy.com, whichever you choose. Uh, if you just want to send us something from the website, go to our website, masterthenec.com. You'll see a Contact Us button. You can click it there and you know send it in there. Uh, if you need courses on residential, commercial, or even industrial, you want to learn industrial, or maybe you're a commercial guy and you're getting ready to do some more industrial work and you want to learn all the ins and outs, power factors, and all those type of things, and uh, control circuits and motor circuits and all that, then go with the industrial program. If you want to learn grounding and bonding, we have a program for that on our website. Uh, you get 365 days of access to the program. Print anything you want off of it, any diagram you want. Take all the quizzes, all the exam prep stuff that's built into it. Everything's accessible to you for that one-time price. 
uh, and you get access to everything for a year. Uh, you don't need to print the whole book. Just print the stuff like tables and stuff that'll help you. Okay, that kind of thing. Because you should be reading it and going through your code book at the same time, highlighting certain things in your code book as you're reading. Okay, because the code book ends up being what you utilize. Okay. Anyway, hopefully you got something out of it, folks. Till next time, stay safe. And God bless. Every day the future's getting closer. Every day the future's looking bright. Every day.